Alrighty, everybody. Good afternoon. Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. Unfortunately, uh, I'm sorry, Wiz, but uh, my last gasp at the golf season is uh, putting a little hindrance on the uh, schedule. So we're uh, going to talk Thursday night football on uh, Wednesday afternoon. How are you today? I'm doing well. Yeah, no worries. You could, uh, you know, could I just put it out there tomorrow morning and uh, it'll uh, still be out there for Thursday as promised. So uh, we could do that. But talking about it a little earlier, you know, you want to get that golf in there before the weather gets a little uh, too cold. But uh, yeah, we're on, to, we're on to week seven. And I guess the good news is as of Wednesday, little past four there seems to be all quiet on the western front in terms of anything covid um so let's i saw that. one i actually saw one thing but not impacting the team because the raiders are coming off of a bye and that was uh trent brown uh he's been put on the covid list um but he wasn't and then there was a running backs coach for the broncos running backs coach as well and but every all all the tests came back negative on the broncos players yes same, uh, same thing for so, same thing yeah, for uh, be, well they're doing yeah. these bracelets that the players are wearing so they're able to track them very closely I think that that's that's what's going on with Joey Sly uh, if you have Joey Sly as your kicker in Carolina right now he's on the COVID list he's not COVID positive but he came in contact with someone so they're protecting it and but but overall the news is is pretty good I actually I, I want to talk to you you know you mentioned weather. Uh, before, but I've noticed we've started to see a little bit of a trend last week. So you know how the overs were producing some big results to start the season. Last week, I did notice that some of the over-unders had been tracking a little bit lower, but the unders have outperformed the last two weeks. So something to watch before weather becomes well, an impact. What happens with that is the, you know, the bookmakers in Vegas they're they're reacting to the scores of the first handful of weeks and now they're making these totals higher like even higher than they probably should be kind of forcing the player to either do one of two things bet the under which most players don't want to do or bet an over on kind of a price that isn't correct so i think you will see that i think there'll be price corrections as far as these totals go but uh one thing that you know you got to start taking into account is especially the games in the northeast uh you know there will start be gaming games where it may be difficult to throw and kick field goals and wins uh so we'll, we'll have to look for that but right now things are pretty mild even uh even on the uh, east coast for uh you know, projected for this week. So well, we got know, one is, game. There yeah. is there is one game this weekend. So it is currently about seventy five degrees in Denver, Colorado, and the game yep. time forecast as we sit here right now for the Kansas City Chiefs against the Denver Broncos are temperatures in the twenties and snow. This Sunday, Broncos, Kansas City Chiefs. So that's something that you're going to have to. Check out. Make sure it's not like crazy yeah, windy. Yeah, the total is. Uh, I think the total is reflecting that. I'm looking at the line right now. It's uh, only 46 points in that game. So yep. yeah, that that is that is definitely could be could be a factor in that game. And uh, I read something else about that game, and we'll we'll, we'll definitely talk about the weekend games um, either Friday or Saturday. But uh, I saw something where Andy Reid said that he didn't even know Le'Veon Bell was going to dress for the game. Um, this week, I mean, I don't know. He may or may not. I can't imagine that he, he's going to get too much of a workload, even if he does play. But something, uh, something to keep your eye on out uh, as far as the the Chief Bronco game. 
most definitely. So I have a couple of, before we get into the, the Thursday game, I, I do want to go over a couple of things with you. F- first off, uh, the move to the, from the Miami Dolphins, sitting at 3-3, three and three, they've got some momentum, uh, playing well on both sides of the ball. I even saw comments from Ryan Fitzpatrick. He was extremely disappointed, you know, by the decision. And, and we always thought that, that Fitzpatrick would be, uh, you know, a very good mentor for Tua. Um, what's your view? I mean, my, my initial reaction is this is a little premature, uh, given that the Dolphins have a legitimate chance at making the playoffs. Is this thrusting the player into action too soon? I'm, I'm curious. You're, I know you are very high on the player coming out of college. Um, you know, is this the right time in your eyes? And, and what's your thought of how this impacts Miami kind of moving forward here? I mean, I have, you know, a few different thoughts on it. Um, first of all, you know, I read when it was done, you know, when the, when the announcement came, the first thing was, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is what they talked about and the plan was get it to kind of the midway point of the season, have to uh, have enough practices and be with the team, and then they would make the switch. So uh, upon reading that, you're on the assumption that Fitzpatrick, two of the Dolphins, the players, they were all like on the same page what was going to happen. And then when you read Ryan Fitzpatrick say he was completely shocked that is a, that's a strange one to me. That's a strange one to me. I'm not sure where that decision is coming down from. I'm not sure if that's the head coach who's making that call or ownership is making that call. It, it seems odd. That's number one. Uh, I'm not sure the Dolphins expected themselves to be like only one game out of the out of first place and certainly right in the midst of uh, playoff contention. But they they really are and uh. But, but, you know, also, what do you do in the event the Dolphins play poorly and Tua plays poorly and they lose? Do you then go back to Fitzpatrick? How does that emotionally set on Tua? Like, you know, what, what, what happens in that case? I mean, I would have – listen – we don't know. We're not with the team. Tua may be lighting it up. It may be a similar situation, and I'm certainly not going to say Tua is going to be the next Patrick Mahomes. But what we ended up finding out was it was obvious to anybody who was around the Chiefs that Patrick Mahomes was on a different level than Alex Smith. Patrick Mahomes is probably on a different level than just about any other quarterback on the planet. But it was obvious to anybody around the Chiefs that it was inevitable and that was going to be the case almost as soon as Patrick Mahomes came onto the team. So that could be the case here. But what I would have done was I would have let it keep going until at least the Dolphins lose a game. Or if Fitzpatrick has a poor game. He did have a one or two poor games early in the season. I guess they didn't feel two was ready. But I would have kept this train rolling until Fitzpatrick played poorly or they lost the game. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit surprised at the timing of it. You know, if this is 11 or 12 games into the season and the Dolphins are sitting here at 5-7, and seven, I think the conversation is going to be different for me. But I just felt the timing was a little bit odd. And, and you know, we kind of talked about this uh, in a couple of podcasts last week where we, we felt, given the abnormalities of, of the preseason and lack of it, that, you know, rookies didn't get their normal repetitions. And, and now we're starting to see some of those rookies in, in both the passing and the rushing game, you know, 
look at what Jefferson's done the last few weeks. We saw what DeAndre Swift did last week. So the progression at, with the players getting more comfortable within the system, uh, getting more repetitions, and, and the usage of those players looks like it's on the increase. And I think this is a trend that we could see, you know, throughout the NFL. Two is an example of that. Uh, you know, we, we've seen some others, but, you know, perhaps this is a trend that will continue to evolve as we move through the NFL season. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't argue against that. I could see, I could see that being the case. But we'll talk more about um, the Dolphins and all the all the games that are going to be played on Sunday. But I guess uh, the main topic of today's uh, podcast is going to be the game tomorrow night between the New York Football Giants traveling to the city of Brotherly Love to take on the Eagles. And uh, right now. I'm looking at the uh, the point spread, and uh, the line is down to four and a half, um, and total is 45. And I guess you know, with home field advantage, is, is about worth that spread. They're saying the two teams are kind of even, and I guess it's probably right considering all the players that the Eagles are missing. So I guess first from a point spread wagering uh, standpoint, do you like either side or the under over in this game? Uh, no. No, I don't. I don't. I don't like. I don't like touching. Uh, th- those passing numbers seem about right. These are two offensive lines that are that are a complete mess. I think these two quarterbacks are are probably, if not the two most uh, pressured quarterbacks in the NFL, right there with the top of them. Um, they've had a lot of problems. It, you know, I think the Giants are last in the NFL in yards per game right now. Somehow Carson Wentz has gotten it done in some of these games, but we know that offensive line is beat up and it's, and it's just his skill position personnel is completely destroyed. And the same for the Giants, right? The Giants lost Saquon Barkley early in the year. Sterling Shepard is gone. So two teams very, very decimated in terms of personnel. Yeah, I would, I would, ag- I would agree with that. Um, so... So looking at the game, I took a look at the player props. I, I, we even have, we even have not even had a chance to discuss it for one second, but uh, so I guess we'll just talk about it right now. I, I, I like Boston Scott over total yards in this game, and I, I do understand that the first time around earlier this season when, when Miles Sanders missed the game, that Boston Scott basically did nothing. Yeah, it wasn't like he basically did nothing. He did nothing. But in looking back at last year, I don't know if it's all luck or good fortune that, that Boston Scott is getting to play the Giants in his you know, start this week, but he absolutely walloped the Giants both games they played last year. Uh, you know, both games, I think, one game he went well over 100 yards total offense. Another game, you know, it may, it may have been that game. But what, his, his line score in the two games, I think, were like four touchdowns, over 200 yards of offense. They have the under and over for, for rushing and receiving at 71.5 for Boston Scott. I'm not sure about any other player on any either of the teams, with the exception of Boston Scott, over total yards. Um, we haven't talked about this. Did you get a chance to look at it? And if you did, any views whatsoever? So, so Boston Scott was a player, as you know, that I had, I had some significant confidence coming into the season that, you know, he 
would be used uh, in, in, a, in a different fashion. I, I thought he would be the Eagles version of Chase Edmonds, and, and it's definitely not come to fruition thus far. I don't know what's behind it. I don't know if he's missed assignments blocking. I'm really not sure. He got out. He was slow out of the gate, and you know his touches have been extremely limited. So much so, like I'm glad to hear you have some confidence in, in the player, and I agree with you. You know he did 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 do some serious damage against the Giants last year, but so much so I started thinking about actually picking up Corey Clement in, in a couple of leagues or playing him in DraftKings not having the full confidence because I haven't understood. It's been very surprising, especially given that the Eagles' weapons are limited, that they have not used Boston Scott in the passing game whatsoever. So it's been very surprising to me. So I don't have this, even though I've picked them up in, in one league and I've kept them rostered in a couple of leagues, my confidence is not as high as yours. Uh, so while I'm happy to hear your confidence, I, I've just been you know kind of shocked at the way the player has been used thus far this season. Yeah, yeah, I'm confident about, you know, I'm confident about tomorrow uh, for use of Boston Scott. I I think he's going to have a strong game. And I I know, um, you know, a lot of people now, I mean, I mentioned it as my sleeper wide receiver two, I forgot, it was two or three weeks ago before anybody had even heard really of Travis Fulgham uh, as a a dark horse pickup. And... I know maybe a lot of conventional wisdom is, you know, maybe in DraftKings and props to play Travis Fulgham over yards, but James Bradbury is is one of the real bright spots in the Giants' defense at cornerback, and I have a feeling that James Bradbury from the Panthers, uh, who the Giants signed, is probably going to be covering Fulgham all over the field, so I'd be having a cautious approach with Travis Fulgham in the game tomorrow unless the Giants play a different kind of defense. But Bradbury is a, is a terrific cornerback, a terrific cover guy, and um, he, may, he may give Fulgham a difficult time uh, tomorrow. So uh, just looking at the whole game, I just can't trust anybody on the Giants. You're never quite sure if it's going to be Evan Ingram time. I know Shepard, they say, he's going to be activated and playing. I I just don't trust anybody there. I'm just going all in on on Boston Scott tomorrow and uh, no views on any other player. Do you have an opinion on anybody in the game from, I guess, either a fantasy football, you know, a DraftKings lineup or a player prop bet or or, or to put in your fantasy lineup? So so I'm going to continue to bet the over on Daniel Jones rushing yards, you know, almost every game. I think it's worth doing. He just you know, basically breaks one out almost consistently. So I do like that. I also, I like the odds that they're giving you for his touchdown passes over one and a half touchdowns. Even though he's not really done that, I like the odds that they're giving you. So to me, that that that's a, that's a bet that looks interesting. And I like both tight ends in this game. So to my knowledge, Dallas Goddard is not playing in this game. Richard Rodgers, uh, no Zach Ertz. He's literally the last man standing at tight end. Um, and Evan Ingram, the Eagles have actually struggled against tight ends this year. And I think Evan Ingram, his yardage, something like 36 and a half, I think is what it was, um, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I think that's what I saw. I like the tight ends in this game to kind of make a little bit of noise on both sides. Not, not that I'd put massive on it, but I could see both tight ends being an integral part of the passing attack uh, for this coming week. That's interesting. Let me uh, pull up the uh, I'm on, on the thing now. Let me look at the player props for receiving yards if they if they have that for uh, um, receiving yards. Free Ingram is thirty six and a half. 
and uh, Richard Rogers, 30 and a half. Wow, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Taking my first look at this now. They got Fulgham at 58 and a half. I, I think, I, you know, to the, to the points I mentioned, I like the under in that one. Uh, I mean, he could hit for a, one big play in the that could go over, but uh, I, I, I wouldn't bet the under, but I mean, if someone said to me, take Fulgham under over, just because of how much respect I have for Bradbury, I would take the under, but I, I really love Boston Scott over in this game tomorrow. I mean, I just see him as being the real focal point of the uh, of the of the Eagles offense in the game tomorrow. And, uh, and you know, to your point about Daniel Jones, um, they got him with 26 and a half rushing. You know, I, I think the best thing, to, the best time to take it over rushing for a quarterback yards is when a team has a good pass rush, believe it or not. Yep. And that's what the case is with the Eagles. Clearly, the best part of their defense is their is their front line getting after the and and what that does is yeah, will they sack Daniel Jones? Yes. Will they probably sack him and cause a strip fumble in the game? Yes. But it also means that there will be a few running lanes. He's fast. He has great athletic ability. So all it takes is really maybe two of those plays for him to hit the over. So you know, for a team that plays a cautious defense and they're playing. You know, rush three and keeping eight back. You know, the quarterback is not going to take off and run. But with the Eagles, where they're really going to try and have a strong pass rush to get after Daniel Jones, all it takes is a few times for Daniel Jones to put the ball down and run. So I can definitely see that one as well. So it's kind of interesting um, when, when you look at the offensive output in this particular game, right? You have an over under that's 45. You have most of the player totals for player props are extremely subdued. Is this one of those potentially head fake games where we, everybody walks into Thursday expecting this to be a ho-hum, you know, 23-20 game, and all of a sudden we get surprised by an offensive outburst? Would you be shocked by that? No, I wouldn't be shocked by anything we ever see from the Eagles. Uh, they look dead and buried in some of these games, and then somehow Carson Wentz, you know, leads them back, and they all have a chance to win the game. But then you're thinking, well, how, how did they get themselves in that position in the first place? So they're at a, they're at a very erratic team, um, you know. So. And this is really an unpredictable game. Uh, I, you know, it's it's one of the main reasons why I wouldn't even venture to try and wager on the game point spread or total. I can see a ho hum game, or I could see, you know, maybe Daniel Jones being able to take advantage of that uh, poor secondary. Uh, that the Eagles have, but there's just so much firepower missing in the game especially on the Eagles side. So um, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. I don't have a feel for it. But to, your, to answer your question, I would not be shocked by anything. Uh, if, the, if the game ended under 20 points or if the game ended over 60 points, neither scenario would surprise me, just considering the, the, the erratic play of the Eagles, and especially um, in this type of game on a Thursday night where they just played this banged-up, bruised-up game where they, they gave it everything they had to, to come back and they fell short. Who knows? The Giants could go in there and win that game. Uh, so any, anything, is, uh, anything is possible in this game tomorrow. But from a fantasy perspective, like if you have, um, you know, we talked about those other guys. Like, what about the giant guys? Uh, if you have Freeman, Ingram, 
Slayton, uh, you know, the receivers, Fogum, uh, Greg Ward, any of those you start with confidence or are you dubious about starting any of those players? So Slayton is a guy who's been probably the most consistent player for the Giants from a fantasy perspective. So I think you feel comfortable uh, starting him. You know, with the Eagles, it's been very inconsistent. You know, Ward was kind of quiet this last game. He got lucky to get a two-point conversion late in that game. You know, if Carson Wentz is spreading it out amongst his pass receivers, as you mentioned, with Boston Scott, let's see how they utilize him in the passing game. But I would say the only person in the, in the passing game that I would trust this week, actually, it, like I said to you, is the two tight ends, uh, and I'd say Darius Slayton. And Devonta Freeman's going to touch the ball 20 times. Uh, his yards per touch has not been significant, but he's been touching the 20 times. I'd say the one thing, even though I don't think he's playing in this game, but uh, but from the looks of it, the the Ertz injury is going to be something that's going to linger, you know, at least you know somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five games. And if Dallas Goddard is sitting out there on any waiver wires, which in in more shallow leagues that's probably the case, but that should not be the case. I think you got to make sure that if Dallas Goddard's available. This is a week to go get him because uh, he could be back as soon as, you know, kind of week nine. I think the Eagles are – one of the Eagles off week – are they off week nine? I think they are. Eagles are off in week nine. But, you know, I think potentially, uh, you know, Goddard could make some significant noise. We always felt an injury to Ertz was a big deal to Dallas Goddard and kind of gravitating him to an easy top five tight end. And uh, you can get some significant production from him, you know, when they come off that bye week, if that's when they actually activate him or if he gets activated as soon as next week. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there was people questioning, like, why the Eagles didn't give Ertz, you know, a lot of money to keep him around for the next three or four years. And probably they saw practice after practice that not only is Dallas Goddard younger, but he's probably in in that time frame of when that contract would be over these next couple of years. He's, he's most likely going to be a better player. And he was a more dynamic player when they were both on the field the first couple of weeks. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I mean, I, if someone said to me, which player do you think is going to come back first? I would say Dallas Goddard. But they probably may both be back by week 10 or week 11 or, or something like that. But, yeah, I think Dallas Goddard, if he's available, um, certainly without Zach Ertz around, he's a top seven tight end. And even with Ertz there, um, you know, he, 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 he could be explosive in the passing game. So I, I, I agree with that as far as, uh, as far as picking that player up. So I'm going to go back to a player that we discussed, um, you know, right before the season started. Uh, I asked you a specific question on this player. Your answer was that you believed he would be playing games in the NFL this season, and that is Antonio Brown. And and there is noise starting to be made around uh, Antonio Brown uh, potentially suiting up this year for an NFL team. Uh, I know in some leagues he is rostered that I'm in. In some leagues he is not. Um, Do you still feel confident in your prediction at the start of the year that Antonio Brown will, in fact, be on an NFL field at some point in time this season? Yeah, I mean, uh, my view has not changed. I would still probably put it by the preponderance of the evidence, I guess, that would be in a, in a court case. I would probably say maybe 51-49, not like, you know, guaranteed or I'm sure of it or probable. I would say probably just a little bit better than 50-50, you know, chance that he is, I would still put it the same way. My feeling hasn't changed. That's probably around 51-49, something like that. A little bit better than, uh, you know, more likely than not that he will. Uh, there's still 
a lot of things that have to be played out. But my goodness, with like so many of these injuries, that could be like a fit immediately for that player. And, uh, you know, it all depends on how it plays out. But I remember like in, in, in July and August, there were like little things. He was coming into settlements. He was keeping quiet. You didn't hear from him. It looked like it was trending in the right direction. And I, you know, agree with that. Uh, I, in, in a league where... If you take a player in, you know, you could keep a player that you take between rounds 11 and 16 the following year. And I drafted Antonio Brown and I rostered him and I've kept him in round 16. So if he plays next year, I will have Antonio Brown in a, in a, in a snake draft for round 16. And I happen to see in another league that I'm in, somebody picked the player up today in a different league. So I'm guessing there is some noise, but there's going to be after, uh, you know, a bunch of things that fall into place. There's going to have to be a team that's willing to take a chance on the player. That team is most likely going to be a contender. That team that's willing to take a chance and is a contender is also probably going to have to have an injury to somebody, uh, you know, at their skill position that would need the player. So there's going to have to be several things that it would have to fall into place. But I can see all of those things happening, and uh, you know, it'll, it'll certainly be it'll certainly be interesting to see. Uh, to see, to see what you know, how that how that plays out. I, I would I would say this. I know Seattle has been uh, the topic of conversation um, for a while, but to me, I can think of no better spot for him to land than the Green Bay Packers. I just think that's the the most ideal. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure Seattle. I know Pete Carroll is a, an erratic, optimistic guy that is capable of doing anything, but I'm not sure, like, unless Lockett or Metcalf went down with an injury, that they would want to, like, do anything with that mojo and the way their offense is going. But Green Bay, certainly, I said it at the very start, that would be the the team that sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, And probably another one, in that same division, the Chicago Bears, um, they're, they look like, you know, after eight, nine, ten games, that they're certainly going to be in contention still, no matter what. So that's another team that desperately could use um, a wideout. Or you just may see Kansas City sign them. <laughs> where where anybody who you know seems to fall out of favor with anywhere else and wants to win a championship and the Chiefs are saying, Well, Watkins can't stay on the field. Forget about McCall Hardman. Robinson and Pringle are good receivers, but they're kinda of like number three and number four receivers. Who's a perfect fit? Antonio Brown to join Le'Veon Bell again. I mean, I could see that news story coming out like the newspapers in front of me right now. So while teams like the Packers and Bears make sense, a big splash would be Kansas City. And uh, my goodness, could you imagine Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball to Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, and Antonio Brown? Oh, no. That would be scary. Really, really scary. That would be scary. But, yeah, that's something to keep your eye on. So, uh We'll have to see how that plays out, but that is definitely going to be one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting, storyline of the NFL as we uh, get down to the last half of the season. Yeah, also, I'm just uh, catching up on some stuff. Uh, You know, we're going to start watching the injury watch. Uh, Joe Mixon is one of those injuries I think we need to watch coming into this week. He got banged up in that game, so... But we'll be sure to be updating you guys as we uh, head into the weekend. Um, Again, Thursday Night Football... Eagles, Giants, 
Wiz, enjoy the rest of your afternoon and uh, look forward to uh, catching up about the rest of the weekend's action later in the week. Guru and Wiz on Apple, Spotify, iTunes. Make sure you subscribe. Wiz, have a good afternoon. You got it.